We are currently in the book of Romans here. In the book of Romans chapter 12. However, we have now approached an area that is one of those areas that unless we directly dive into what Scripture says, we will approach words that have a handful of definitions in here. And so I would say like I would any night, please don't just believe me. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always be the final say. Having said that, we are going to take a three-week venture into the area of spiritual gifts. My intent in doing so is to shed light, not heat. To be able to create clarity where Scripture says things clearly. So that when we get down to the nitty and the gritty about it, defining these 17 different gifts as God mentions them in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12 comprehensively, that we'll be ready. We'll be on our game. But let me start with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to lay out the ground rules here. Because especially in an area like this, it's fairly easy for someone to say, but I have been taught by a very godly man, blah de blah de blah And that's why I would say, never just believe what I say. Search the scriptures. Pray with me, would you please? Father, you promised that your Holy Spirit would teach us all the things we need to know. Bring to our remembrance the things, Jesus, you've spoken. Convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Minister profoundly to us in such a way that the very author of this book, your Holy Spirit, would bear forth fruit in us. And in that, Lord, we would be further equipped and transformed and readied for the things, Lord, that you have ordained each of us for. So, Lord, I just pray tonight for every one of us that we would be profoundly ministered to. Lord, in any area that is challenging what we think we might know, Lord, I just pray tonight that we would walk out of here more confident, more sure, more ready, more available. And Lord, that we would be more confident in what your word says in this area. So Lord, please now, minister, I pray. I pray that you would immerse me in your spirit, that I would disappear. I pray, Lord, that you would come upon me with your Holy Spirit in such a way that every person here will encounter Jesus that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do, that you would minister, I mean really minister, not just rub our shoulders or not just give us an ice cream when we're feeling down, but rather, Lord, bring about permanent change. Bring us to solution, to cure and not just to symptom. Bring us, Lord, to those places where real choices need to be made and in those real choices we would make them. And Lord, I just love you so much. And I thank you for what you're going to do in every minute of this time. Let it be perfect time spent, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I'm going to put everything into one of three categories. And I ask you to listen because this will help us to see how big the dance floor is. There is the area of what we would call biblical. Now that's pretty simple. The Bible says it. It's just what it is. If the Bible says something clearly, I tend not to assume that some expert somewhere is going to have a better answer than what the Bible simply says. I love that. So there is the area of biblical. There is the area of anti-biblical. And what anti-biblical means is that some thinking or statement or logic is directly opposite of the clear teaching of Scripture. Then there's a third area, and I'll call that area extra-biblical. Now what that means is you can't necessarily find a verse against it, directly against it, and you can't necessarily find a verse directly for it. Now please understand, I believe the Lord's left room on the dance floor for several different disciplines of dance for a reason. When it comes to what is clearly taught in Scripture, we should agree because it says it in Scripture, and that is our fence. Anything that stands directly against it would be anti. Within that, if we know how clear the fence is, we could say, well, I've, my particular experience is this, and my particular experience is that, and I've kind of come from this. The question is, does it fit within the fence or not? That's really the issue here. And the beauty within that, then, is that it allows us to have different approaches, perhaps, but still fully agree on what is important, what the Scripture has made clear. Now today, now if you look at this little page here, and by the way, again, this will be a three-week thing in, in intent. There will be, this will be broken up into five sections, in essence, by the time we're done. The first will be the person behind the gifts. If we don't really understand who the Holy Spirit is to any degree or what he's about and what his intent is, well then, the gifts and the fruit of God's Spirit seem like a really strange thing. The second then is the precedent of those gifts. In other words, well, what has Scripture already shown us in the Old Testament in the manifestation of God's Holy Spirit? You may be surprised by the fact that you will see well over 20 to 32 times depends on your translation, the Holy Spirit coming upon some individual in the Old Testament, empowering them for ministry. The third then, and this will be next week, God willing, will be then the purpose as God clearly states for these gifts. Now let me just say that God has told us that every person who believes that Jesus Christ is Lord, surrendering to the gift he's given on the cross for the payment of our sins, and accepting his resurrection and therefore allowing him to be the Lord of our life, God gives you a docket of gifts. It's a recipe. And that recipe may be uniquely yours. And God will make clear to us in 1 Corinthians 12 that even that there are a diversity of gifts, there are different gifts among those that are around, but there are also going to be a a diversity in the way that we manifest those gifts. And there will be a diversity in the offices and and the effects that those gifts manifest. Even if some really strange thing happened where we all had the same gifts, we would still activate them or use them in different ways. And so the reason I say that is, is that every one of you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has given you a docket of gifts. There are no spare parts to the body of Christ. 
And if you are a part of the body of Christ, you are not a wart. You are not the thing that you just God's going to need to freeze and just out of embarrassment to Christ have broken off or sawn off. In the end of it all, you are an integral part of the body of Christ. Now please understand, as we get into the, the, the person and the personality of the Holy Spirit, as we get into the purpose of these gifts, and ultimately as we look at that then, we'll look at the perspective of what God says about these gifts. In other words, what context does he nestle these gifts in in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And then finally, our last week then, uh, our third week, will be that of going through these 17 gifts. And understand, when I do, there's going to be two aspects of it. We can look at it in its original language, which, by the way, will give you, in some cases, it'll be like prophet, prophetes. Wow, we got a lot from that. But on the other side of it, if there really is these gifts, and he's promised these gifts, and they've, I would like to think somehow they've been manifested somewhere between the Gospels and the book of Acts. The question is, how do we see these gifts manifested in the book of Acts? That may help us get a better working definition for what we see in Scripture for those gifts. So we don't just make it up as we go along. And let's be honest, unless the Bible define our terms, our Messiah, our Savior, our gifts, our callings, we will, even taking the term, will make up the rest ourselves. And I can guarantee you, you can't make it up better than God has for you because his plan for you is perfect. So if you want to try to make something up, it's like you can't better Jesus than who he is. He's perfect. Now, having said that then, let's dig into the first part. Tonight, my initial goal is just to go through some beautiful nuggets that are in chapters 14 through 16 of the Gospel of John. Let me give you a little bit of the setting. So I want you to turn to John chapter 14. And I'll sort of lay things out because no clearer teaching is there on the Holy Spirit than the one person to whom that Spirit belongs, Jesus, as he teaches them in chapters 14 through 16. It will not be the only thing he teaches them there, but there will be this gorgeous nuggets to feast on within this, with these texts. So follow me on this. It is now 32 AD. It is now the beginning of April. It is the day before Jesus is going to be murdered. We can smell the dusty cloaks and the burning olive oil and the hot bread because it's Passover Pesach. And there has been then preparations made to have Passover. There is the smell of sweat because the disciples don't bathe every day like we would. And we can smell all of this in the upper room where Jesus is going to begin this discourse. Jesus will hear the exhales of heaviness and the rustles of clay cups and bowls as we prepare for the Passover, the increasing size of a distressed Savior and our friend while the disciples are conversing over who would be greatest. We can feel the cold, bumpy earth beneath our cloak because actually April is a little bit chilly in the Middle East. It's cool, but it's musty, and it's the April evening air. We can see the flickering lamps splashing shadows upon the stone and plaster that are the walls around us, obviously worn, just like our leader and teacher. Our minds begin to spin through Passover metaphors, ignoring the cross comments Jesus has been making over and over and over again. I must be betrayed, handed into the hands of the Gentiles, be spat upon, whipped and beaten crucified and on the third day raised again oh we don't want to hear that it's the night of Jesus' torture Judas's betrayal it's the night of Peter's thrice denial it's the night that we will all desert him and flee but Jesus isn't thinking of himself 
Jesus is thinking about us. You see, he's got a mother that he's going to have to hand over to someone to be responsible for. He has Peter yet to fall and be restored. And he has every one of us to seek after and reconvince that he's everything he says he is. He has 11 disheveled students that need to know that they're not being deserted. How can I abide in him when he's leaving? I've left my life, my home, I've abandoned everything, my father, my boats, my occupation, my security, my retirement. I've left it all to follow him and now he says he's going. That's the context for John chapter 14. We're at the end of the Passover now. Jesus has told us, this is my body broken for you. Take this and eat it in memory of me. After dinner, he's given us a cup that he himself, according to Luke, will not drink when he says, take this and drink. This is the cup of my blood, the cup of the new covenant. And they all understood. Oh, that new covenant was a covenant like a groom to his bride where they drink to agree to his terms, his faithfulness. And he tells you, you need to stay in me. And they kind of understand because when the groom got engaged, he left to prepare a house to build a house for his bride and when he was done he would go on that litter, the limo of the day, that thing ridden on shoulders of men and grab his girl and pull her for the whole world to see and say, everyone, this is my girl. Just like 1 Thessalonians 4 teaches us when it says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud shout and the command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with the Lord in the air to meet him in the, in the air. So we'll be with him forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And they understood that. At least not that, perhaps, of his return. But that's how a groom did it. He went back. He prepared his house when it was done. He brought with him the trumpeter. He brought with him the herald, the guy that can scream loud enough. The elders came first to bring lights. And as they brought lights, the man was brought to the girl's house and brought her and lifted her up for the world to see and took her to be with him for the rest of their lives. And we get it now on the other side of that. But there it's just a cup and a leaving. But we are fearful because what in the world you can't leave? We're missing the engagement a little bit because of the fact he tells us he's going to leave. And they say, well, where are you going? We don't know where you're going to go. His response is in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's our context for that, by the way. Do you really want to know where to go? I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to be it. You really want the truth? I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to be it. You really want life? I'm not going to give it. I'm going to be it. The way I give it is by giving myself. And then he says this, verse 15, if you would love me, this is chapter 14, verse 15. If you would love me, you'd keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because neither sees him nor knows him, but oh, you know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I've taken the liberty, by the way, of copying all of those onto the front of this so you know, so you can take this home. You may not be able to read it in this particular light, but you can check up on me if you like on that. What really began my investigation of the Holy Spirit was not going into a place that seemed like a circus or a place that felt like a morgue. To be honest, I was reading through the Word and I'm like, who is this guy? 
And I got to John 14 and something so impacted me and I believe it was just the Spirit saying, let's just do it in a way that, you, that makes sense to you. So I just took three charts, three areas, three columns. And the first I just wrote everything that he's called and the second everything that he does and doesn't do and then the third any other facts I could learn about him. And that from chapters 14 through 16 so opened my eyes that I actually fell in love with the Holy Spirit in a way that I felt like I should. And to be honest, Scripture says I should. Now hear me on this. The first title given is in verse 16. And I want to challenge you. Be careful how you answer this. What is the first thing the Spirit is called there? You tell me. Helper. Ooh, we've got to be careful. Read it carefully. It's another helper. Don't miss that. Alan Pericleton is the, is the Greek for it. Now, that is so important. Please don't miss me on this. Jesus is sitting. We're all tired. We're freaked out. We're smelling the bread and the sweat. And we're panting. We know Jesus has already been heavily distressed. By the time we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, which will be, by the way, in the, this route, chapter 14 will end with, come on, let's, get, let's go. 15 and 16 are in route to the garden for where Jesus will melt down, sweat like drops of blood, there be ministered by angels and be arrested. In a place, by the way, Scripture makes clear, he had gone regularly so that Judas knew where to find him. Judas is now gone. Judas is left, and we're kind of looking around. We think he's gone to the store. He was the money carrier, was a thief from the beginning, John makes clear, and off he goes to, to, to betray Jesus, to get his detachment of troops. Jesus is clearly worn down. By the time we get to the garden, we'll read that the three that Jesus called to stay awake with him fell asleep due to sorrow. I'd like you to consider that. Now, we don't read anywhere that they were sorrowful for anything in and of themselves. But if you've ever been with somebody that you love and you've seen them in a place of torment... It takes it out of you. The only thing we can find in Scripture is that Jesus is so overwhelmed. I mean, he's on his way to a meltdown in the garden that it affects us. I mean, these three guys, by the time we take this one day's, this Sabbath day's journey, you can walk it in a half hour from where Jesus is at, at the top of Mount Zion, which is just Jerusalem, on his way down then through the Kidron, which, by the way, will be full of the blood of the lambs that have been slaughtered. And the Lamb of God will walk through that on his way up the Mount of Olives, which is just the east side of it, on the other side. We will be exhausted because of what we've watched and experienced with Jesus. And here now he looks at us. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone, guys. That's not the way this works. I'm going to leave you. And he does not say helper. Be careful. He says, another helper. Parakleton. Para means beside. Kalejo means to call. It's the same word we read that could be called counselor or comforter or friend. It is somebody called beside you. Now, please hear me on this. If the Holy Spirit is another helper, this should beg the question, who is the original helper for which then he is another helper? And the answer is Jesus. That's the point. That alone chipped away at any concern I may have for who this guy, the Holy Spirit, is. And I'll tell you why. Because if I really love Jesus and he is my helper, and the Holy Spirit has come now to be another helper... If I'm cool with what Jesus did, I should be really happy with what the Holy Spirit does. Isn't that a great place to start? Now, please hear me. In the simplest sense, might I just say that what Jesus did on the outside, the Holy Spirit just does on the inside. And that's a pretty radical thought. Now, follow me on this. 
It tells us, if you let me, you'll keep my commandments. I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. You might want to get to know him a bit, quite simply, because you're going to be spending eternity with him. That's obviously... Now notice, it's in colors, and thank you, Lauren, for that. The red, then, by the way, will be facts about him. The, the purple, a very lovely purple, mind you, um, is then titles. So, he's another helper that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17, the spirit of truth. That's important, by the way. The spirit of truth. And by the way, the term for truth is an interesting one. It doesn't just mean something that's, you know, just inherently something we can all agree upon. It literally means that which is absent of obscurity. In other words, something that is just plain and right. And the idea of the spirit of what is just made clear is the idea here. Of the truth. Now look at this interesting statement. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now, that is interesting. And by the way, here's a place where I'm going to address something anti-biblical. And I'll try not to do that too much. But this is one of those places. Coming from America, because there's a lot of those guys on TV. And this is one of those things they just love. There was a sort of a, a I mean, this kind of concept going around a while back. And, and I don't want to kind of back on experience because people can have a genuine experience in God. And, and, I, would, and I would never would have questioned that in regards to the individual. But the particular movement was one that really encouraged the idea that you were absolutely wasted, was the point. You couldn't drive, you couldn't walk. You got to, and they were literally building on the sides of their churches things called drunk tanks where you could come down so you could drive. The problem is you got so drunk on the Holy Spirit, you barfed, which was part of the interesting part of the church of this. I mean, it got that crazy. And I mean, and what's interesting, though, is 27 different times in Scripture, you're going to find in one manner or another, the Lord tells us, the Holy Spirit says, to be sober. That's a little bit strange for me that God wants you sober, but this is another experience. Nonetheless, I don't want to bag on that. Here's the problem. When we get to the point where the person says, I'll tell you what, and for whatever reason it seems to happen in the deep south in America, I've noticed, but I'll tell you what, I was driving and I was so drunk in the spirit that I was driving and the car was just wee 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 and I'm just driving like all kinds of crazy and lo and behold, there was that police officer and he came and pulled me over and he said, sir, do you realize what just happened to you? You're driving like a, like a lunatic. But he put his arm on my windshield, on my window like this. And, I, and that heathen, though he was clearly somebody that hated God, I put my hand on him, and I put my hand on him, he received the Holy Spirit, and he just started to get all drunk himself. He went over to his motorcycle and fell over. Listen to what Scripture says plainly. The world cannot receive him. What, will make, what Scripture will make clear is the moment you accept the gift of Jesus Christ, God places his Holy Spirit in you as a guarantee, a guarantee of your inheritance. But please understand, if you want God's Holy Spirit in your life, my question normally is why? Because I think we all should. The real issue, though, is why do you want him in your life? Now, with that in mind, it tells us this. He dwells with you and will be in you. And then it says, I will not leave you orphans. And a very important word. In case you have, you might have comfortless in your texts. The word in the Greek is the word orphanos. You can kind of get an idea what word. That's why we get orphan from it. I do find that interesting, because this is Jesus speaking. Thomas will say, well, show us the Father, and that'll be enough. And he's going to say, Thomas, really? How long have you hung out with me, and you really don't realize? Who can leave you an orphan? Your Father can leave you an orphan. I just find that interesting, Jesus is speaking that comment here. Now, interesting as it is, can I just challenge you? I'm going to put another verse in right away, just to kind of make something really clear. The Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, seems to have three different interfaces with humankind. Here are two of them in verse 17 dwells with you, which literally means beside, para. And then the second is in you. The third is in Acts 1.8. 
when Jesus says, by the way, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So let me kind of lay those out. And again, don't just believe me in any of this. Search the scripture. But let me just, for the sake of clarity, kind of lay this out now. Lo and behold, let's just call someone a heathen. Now I have to pick on somebody. Let's pick on Allie. Come on out here for a moment. Actually, not Allie. Let's just call her Sally. Okay. Sally is a heathen. You have to, don't act too much like a heathen, but she's a, she's, Sally's a heathen. And there she is being, doing heathen things. And, and now, now understand, it tells us, because, because she's in the world at this point, she can't receive the Holy Spirit the way it is. But here's the issue. The Holy Spirit at this particular point, what's the first of the positions the Holy Spirit encounters them? With, beside is the term, para. So here's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's doing this. Now, where is the Holy Spirit pushing Valley, where is the Holy Spirit pushing her? To the cross. That's the whole point. Do you remember when Jesus speaks to Paul, Saul at that time, and he says, it's hard to kick against the goats, a stick you poke an animal with to get him to go where you want. Who do you think was, used? Who do you think was the stick? Now understand, every human being out there, the Holy Spirit is with them, whether they like it or not. And most of the time, they don't. Here's the funny part. You want to go and freak out the people in Camden? Actually, talk to them about the Holy Spirit the way Scripture defines him. He's going to dwell with you. And when we're done with our conversation, he's going to go with you. <laughs> right? Okay, go ahead. Thank you. Now look at The Holy Spirit is there. And his ministry is to push you to the cross. Push you to the cross. Push you to the cross. And as he pushes you to the cross, finally Fally accepts the gift of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.13 is the text. Write it down to check me on it. It says, Having believed the gospel of your salvation, the moment you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, guaranteeing your inheritance. The moment she believes, and all the word believe, epistuho, literally means to take your trust and spend it on this point that Jesus died for you and rose again. She hears that point. She hears the gospel. She puts her trust and God's Holy Spirit comes in her. Now, the reason God... Now, notice there, that's the second one. He will be in you. The idea of the Holy Spirit being in you, guaranteeing your inheritance, that's Ephesians 1.13. And he begins the work of sanctifying you, changing you from the inside out. He's planted in you from which you should expect to bear fruit. Galatians 5.26 will actually help you with that. Six, chapters 5 and 6 will make clear that particular point. Let's move to the next little nugget. The next one then is in the same chapter, verse 25. He says, These things I have spoken while present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things that I've said to you. And then he'll speak about his peace. Not that the world gives. And understand that's a beautiful place for him to put that. Now please hear me as we make sure that we get clear definition on this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus has a peace. Can we be clear on that? That's a pretty simple statement. Jesus has a peace, and it says, not as the world gives do I give to you. He has a peace, and the world has a peace. Jesus gives it a one way, the world gives it another. Now, it says then, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, now follow me on this. The world's definition of peace is one of emptying you from hardship. That's why so many drugs sell so well. That's why sex sells so well. 
Because every bit of it, in one way or another, is a way to distract you, to try to empty you from the problems of your life. And if I can empty me from the problems of my life, well, then I think I can have peace. And we're like, ooh, I know what I can do. I can sit and I can eat yogurt and I can cross my legs until I'm really numb, everything from the hips down and go, ooh. And if I can do it, if I can empty myself enough, then I'll have peace. The problem is, if you have children, that will never happen. The problem is, you live in London. There are more people per square kilometer than there were in the entire area I came from. Please hear me. Scripturally, peace is, comes from the word yeras, and the word yeras means to join. Real peace, scripturally, is the opposite. It's to be filled, not to be emptied. And listen what the Holy Spirit does. He teaches you, didaskalon, he teaches you, speaks. Notice that's a speaking thing. And brings to your remembrance. Notice that's a speaking thing. Brings to your remembrance the things that Christ has said to you. So there it is. Bruno's having a lot of trouble, hypothetically. It's a rough day. People have been on his case. He misses somebody far away. Life's a bit rough. He goes to step onto that subway, I'm sorry, that underground train. But the problem is that it's so full, he says, do I really, really want to? And just as he says yes, the doors close. And a large, hairy man steps in front of him. And he's like, oh, could this day get any worse? And then he looks up and says, oh, all trains from this point have been canceled. And he thinks, ah, seriously? And some guy looks at him and steps in front of him and goes, you want to fight? And he's like, are you really? And he's like, he's not even going to ask her to get any worse because he knows if he does, something else is going to step up to answer it. And, his, and he finally gets to this point and he steps outside and he's like, I'll just start walking and it begins to rain. All right? As he starts to begin to rain, he starts to do that, that grumpy, spiteful, walks by the curb and the car splashes and covers him. And he's like, you know what? And then he goes, and just at that point, he goes to make a call and his phone's gone. And he's like, are you, could this possibly, he's going to, you know what? And he right ducks into the Garfunkels to go and get a quick, cheap bite. He reaches and he's got no wallet. And just at that moment, the door opens and some girl looks and goes, and that will sing, that'll stab deeper than anything else he's experienced for the course of the day. Poor Bruno. And at that moment, he's just like, I hate life. I hate you. I hate me. I hate everything. And Jesus steps in and he, all of a sudden the word of Christ starts to remind you. I'm with you even to the end of the age. I'll even use this to your good, Bruno. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And all of a sudden, he gets peace. It wasn't from emptying. It was from filling. Do you see what just happened? See, it's pretty easy to crawl in the flesh. And can I just say, we live in a culture where everything is entitled. In other words, you feel like you have a right to do whatever you want. Kick people, steal, whatever. And you feel entitled to be spiteful. You would, and, and to be honest, we could feel entitled to be in the flesh. And when we're in the flesh, there's just no real fellowship in our hearts with God. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, 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 hey. Are you tired of hating this? I love you. And it's interesting. All of a sudden, Bruno turns into a different man. He hasn't eaten. He has no wallet. 
He hasn't made a phone call. He has no phone. But he steps outside and strangely enough grabs the, the pole and starts singing, singing in the rain right out there. And as he starts singing, singing in the rain, Jeffrey sees him. And Jeffrey says, whoa, I was wondering who that crazy guy was. Bruno, how are you doing? He's like, you know what? Not so bad all of a sudden. Jeffrey's like, you know, I was just going to go into Garfunkel's and get some food. Would you like some? I got some extra money today. And Bruno goes, ah, oh, check it out. But even if Jeffrey didn't, he was still already there, okay? It's amazing what the Holy Spirit does. But then, you know what? That's what Jesus did on the outside. You're in a storm, and you're rowing like crazy, and you're freaking out, and you're all thinking you're going to die. And I'm sure it starts with Peter, James, and John, right? Because those guys were fishermen, right? And Andrew, Peter's brother. I mean, and they're kind of looking around at the others and going, don't worry, this is just a normal storm. I'll tell you what you do. You bail, you, you row. We're going to kind of steer into the wind, drop the sail. It's going to be all right. But God knows when you think your expertise isn't going to last long, right? So he'll turn up the storm a little bit just until you get to the point where you're like, I can't do it, I can't. And it's amazing how quickly you can go, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. Why don't you care? I'm perishing. Isn't it strange how you flip that switch? There's like nothing in between. But I mean, imagine in between that time, all of a sudden you're Peter and you're going, come on, Matthew, row. Can't you row? I know you're a tax collector, but row. You're a zealot, Judas. Row zealously. I mean, think about what you would say. And finally, when Jesus asks, where is your faith? You could see them kind of going, oh, Peter, how good was that? But in the midst of that storm and they're freaking out, lo and behold, Jesus walks as if he were going to walk right by. And they all scream like little girls because they think it's a ghost. Because after all, fishermen tell fishermen stories. And, and Jesus is like, oh. <laughs> does not seem to be very troubled by the storm now, does he? Because Jesus knows how to surf without the board. And there, because there's waves, because it's a storm, and he's just, imagine, he's like, <laughs> no, I just, I don't, I'm sorry, that's just my image, but, but follow me on this. What did he do? He showed himself, and then he looked at you guys, and he looked at his guys, and he's like, okay, hold on. Can I come in your boat? All right, thanks. Shalom. Peace. And it's like, ah! It's a lake now. Where was your face? Now think about what Jesus did. He showed up right in the middle of that thing and showed himself right there to show how much he was, how greater he was. And now here I am in the middle of a storm and I can't seem to see Jesus and the Holy Spirit does the same thing on the inside now. See that? It's like, let me remind you what Jesus did. Let me remind you what he said. And sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes it's something where the Lord says something personally even to you. Hey, there was a time in my life where the Lord said, hey, I'm going to carry you through some things. I'm going to carry you. Is that okay? I'm like, all right, Lord. No, there's a uh-oh when you get that, right? Because, you know, carrying normally means you're going to... When's the last time you needed to be carried? All right, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Within six months, and I'll, I won't give you all the details right now, but within six months, I almost lost all three of my girls. I mean, literally. ER, throwing up blood run over by a car to where she was not breathing and her eyes were amber yellow, as dead as anything they'd known. Basically a stroke. And you know what's so cool? 
at those moments when, when, I mean, here I am on a tour bus in Israel. I mean, I've got 82 people we're responsible for, and I'm there with my guide, and the guide pulls me and says, you need to see this, and I step out of the bus, and there's this little girl underneath the Jeep and a, a service vehicle, and they're pulling the service vehicle off, and her foot is completely backwards, and her face is like this, the whole ground's wet with her, and she's like this, not breathing eyes, and then I realize with one more step, it's my own. And I run over there. You don't even remember that part. You just think you're there. And, you're, and I'm like, all of a sudden, I just watch the people. And I look and I see my wife step. And I'm like, Matt, my assistant pastor. Matt, Matt, Matt. Get Suzanne. Get Suzanne. Because I don't want her to. And you know she's going to freak out. Who wouldn't? What mother wouldn't? But at that moment, at that moment, the Holy Spirit says, remember Jesus said, I'm going to carry you. And that was all I needed. I wasn't promised she would live. I wasn't promised anything other than this. I'm here. That's what you need to know. Trust me, I'm going to work this. And it's those moments right then where I need the Holy Spirit to speak. And they'll look at the matter. Now, the Holy Spirit could use you. You're aware of that. The Holy Spirit can use a person. The Holy Spirit can use a donkey. The Holy Spirit can use whatever he wants. But there's something profound about those moments when the Holy Spirit just speaks inside of you and just reminds you what Jesus said. What Jesus said. And it was Jesus who said, I'm going to carry you. No, follow me on this. We'll move to the next one. The next text, by the way, then, is in chapter 15. And it's right at the end, by the way. It actually picks it up in verse 26. And this is what he says. When the, when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, we kind of get the idea the Spirit comes from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will also, by the way, bear witness because you've been with me through the beginning. If I'm going to expect the Holy Spirit to speak, this is what I should expect him to tell me about Jesus. That's what it says here. We'll get to the next text. It'll be even clearer. If I'm going to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, I would expect him to testify or give evidence of Jesus. That's why I have great concerns about what we might call the Holy Spirit hour. Because if you spend an hour and it's Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, but you never wound up with Jesus, I have a problem because it doesn't reconcile with this verse. He, and we'll find out even more so later in just the verses. We're almost there. If you have a real encounter with the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to tell you the others were fake. I'm going to tell you that if you have a encounter the way the Holy Spirit wants you to have an encounter, he's going to tell you about Jesus. So what happens when you're the tool of the Holy Spirit? He's going to use you to tell others about Jesus. You get it? To be evidence, and it's what the word means there, to give evidence. Okay, and therefore Jesus says then, you're going to also have to be then to bear witness. And to bear witness literally means to bring evidence. Chapter 16 now, we get around to the end of this. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Of course, nobody there agrees with him at this moment. Or if I do not go away, the helper, notice that's something he's been called here, he's been called that in chapter 15 and 14, will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world, literally convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, I, this is one of my favorite verses for what he does. And I'll tell you why. Because it's his job to convince now, let me go after the throat of another thing that I think is actually strangling the church right now. The apologetic movement. Now, I'm not telling you that it's bad in and of itself. I'm telling you it's bad if it replaces the gospel. And I'll tell you one of the biggest problems that it has. 
is that it convinces you somehow that it's your job to convince the world that Jesus is everything he is. So you bring out your dusty books, your archaeological evidence. You take classes in logic and reasoning, how to be a better arguer. Interesting, when you read the book of Acts, that's what, what Paul had to be detoxed out of to become the guy that can actually say, the gospel is the power of salvation to those who believe. He'd be hit off to get to the point that when he got to Athens, and that's a place, by the way, people love to build churches on what happened in Athens. The next place he went after Athens was Corinth. In the letter to the Corinthians, he says, you know when I came to you, I resolved to do nothing but Jesus Christ and in him crucified. <coughs> Paul went to Athens, which was like, you know, philosophy central, and he philosophized there. Because he brought a tepid Jesus, he got a tepid response. Nobody tried to kill him. There was, he wasn't chased out of town. He gallivanted in. He brought a very nonchalant message, and he nonchalanted his way out. But then he got to Corinth, and he was like, mm, that didn't work. Now, you have to agree with me, right, that Paul's a human being? And because he's a human being, one of the blessings we have in the book of Acts is we get to watch a guy in ministry learn in his ministry. Everything he does isn't perfect, because if it weren't the case, if that were the case, Paul would not have said, you know, I actually had to make a decision when I got to you guys, and I thought, none of that anymore. Let's just go with what really works. I think that's profound. Here's what the, what the scripture says. The gospel is the power of salvation to anyone who believes. Jesus Christ died for your sins according to scripture, was buried Three days he rose again, just like Scripture promised, and then he was seen by a lot of people. Most of you know that. We've, we've kind of pounded that in you. And you go, well, it seems so simple. And I'd say, duh, it's supposed to be simple. For two reasons. One, is so that simple people could understand. And second, so that simple people could use it. The gospel is supposed to be something every Christian understands enough to use. Otherwise, you think that somehow only experts go out there and share Jesus. Here's the problem. Well, what if they ask questions I can't, I, I can't answer? So what? It doesn't say that you have to answer everyone's questions. You're not running the universe. Isn't that awesome? They're like, hey, so what's next to the Quasar 614 over there in the, in the Belfort quadrant? You're like, you know, ask them that. And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, well, I'm not running my universe, so I don't need to know. You're running yours. You better know what's over there. What if it comes to you? But listen, it's not just that the gospel is the power of salvation. It's the Holy Spirit that does the convicting. Isn't that beautiful? Now, there are times when the Holy Spirit will use your mouth, which, let's be honest, that's a miracle. There are sometimes the Holy Spirit will use your mouth by keeping it closed. For me and others, that's even a bigger miracle. But have you ever had something and you just knew you were in a conversation and it's starting to turn into a debate? And as it's starting to turn into a debate, they've got something and you just like, and you're like, your, skin, your, your heart's starting to race because you just know this is the... You're just going to nail them, right? And you got it in you, and you're just like, you're pulling it up, and you're unwrapping it, right? And you're just kind of, it's kind of like you're kind of pulling your gun out of your holster. And you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. You're not even listening, because you're just waiting for a free space to go, right? And so you're there, and you pull out, and just as they finish, you go, ah, ah, ah. And you can't find it anymore? And you're like, oh, come on! Man, and you knew it, man. You knew if you took this thing out, bam, it was the A-bomb. It was going to blow this whole thing to shreds. And, and, and God's like, no, 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 no. I'll convince here. Do you know how powerful I don't know is? Someone goes, who is Cain's wife? I don't know. Can we move on? 
They're like, imagine them going, ha, 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 you don't know who Cain's wife is. Does it matter? I used to just make up a name just for fun. Mushuga, which, by the way, is the Hebrew word for crazy. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, well, who's Cain's wife? Mushuga. Now, will you give your life to Jesus now? And they're like, uh, I've never gotten this far in a conversation before. <laughs> Here's the point. If the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, notice there's three things, and they're really important. Sin, because that's the need, that's the problem, that's the diagnosis. Righteousness, how to get cured. Judgment, what happens if you don't? The Holy Spirit will convince every person. And here's the thing. Just because a person's convinced doesn't mean they have to tell you. Isn't that true? You walk up to someone and you remind them they're a sinner, but you didn't say anything. You're just loving Jesus and they just freak out on you. They were all happy just a moment ago and now they're like possessed. And you're like, what in the world just happened? And you're like, um, and then the, praise God, Jesus reminds us that happened in Mark 2, too. Mark 1 and 2. I mean, there was a synagogue, there was a guy possessed in church. I walk in, the guy freaks out. And my first question is, why wasn't he freaking out before Jesus showed up? He was in church. Because without Jesus there, what's there to freak out over? He will convict the world of sin. He will convict the world of righteousness and he will convict the world of judgment. Here's the cool thing. I can look at any person out there and I'd say, oh, God wants you saved. And I know what saves. It's the gospel. Now, you have to believe that, but I'm going to give you the gospel simple. Here's it is. Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. He was buried. He rose again on three days just like Scripture promised. And he was seen by lots of witnesses. Will you receive him? You know what's really funny? There have been times I've just shared that and, people, and I've, I've watched people go, yeah. And there's a part of you that, you know, you have to practice that poker face because you want to be like, yeah, Really? But I haven't like whipped out my flannel graphs or my charts or my iPad to show you because the gospel is the power of salvation and the Holy Spirit does convict. But without that, why in the world are we trying to change people? Because without that, everything's a temporary. It is a plaster on a gaping wound that will kill someone. And Jesus looks and he says, look at it. The Holy Spirit will convict. You know why? Because without accepting Jesus, you're going to hell. And we're afraid to say that. I'm not. And by the way, that's something I'll say on the street just as much, but I'll say, but he doesn't want that. Jesus will say, you want to go to hell, it's over my dead body, and I will rise up as you try to step over it. Well, we have one more text. Listen to this. This is now Matthew, I'm sorry, this is um, John chapter 16, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth. And I love this statement. Listen, he will not speak on his own. We put authority, notice there, in italics, which means it's added to help us understand the verse, but it's not in the original. He will not speak on his own. But whatever he hears, he'll speak. He will glorify me. And who's the me? You tell me. Who's the me? Jesus. Jesus. Who's the me? Jesus. That's right, it's Jesus. That's right, because he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. Please hear me. If the Holy Spirit is doing what the Holy Spirit does, he's going to glorify Jesus. If the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does, then he will testify of Jesus. If the Holy Spirit doesn't do what the Holy Spirit doesn't do, well, then he will not bring attention to himself. And all of a sudden I go, wow, wait a minute. I get it. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in the simplest sense is he is the catalyst of intimacy between men and God. That's what he does. Everything he does is to bring you closer to God. 
Could you see why the enemy spent so much time trying to make you afraid of him or, or trying to make him some like kind of hidden force that you can turn into a, a maniac? If I have a real encounter with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to have be at the feet of Jesus if I surrender to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. That's just what the Holy Spirit does. And if that's the case, I get every time the Holy Spirit comes upon someone in the Old Testament. It's Moses and he's leading people to the Lord. It's Joshua and he's leading people to the Lord. It's Gideon and he's calling the people back to the Lord. It's Isaiah and it's Ezekiel calling people back to the Lord. It's prophets who warn and say, you're stepping in dangerous ground. Repent and go back to the Lord. Do you see what happens? The Holy Spirit's ministry is to pull you into the Lord. It's to pull you deeper into the Lord. To pull you deeper. Here's my question. If he's going to use you as his tool, what do you think he's going to use you as his tool to do? To bring other people deeper. Do you get it? Now, can you see why this would be so important? Because if you realize, when we get two weeks from now, God willing, to where all the gifts are listed, and I know already the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring people closer to God, then I'll know every tool that he wants to use is for that purpose. Now, the dangerous part about that is the very same thing that we see the Holy Spirit didn't do here. In other words, he will not bring attention to himself. And let me tell you why. Because in the end of it all, if the Holy Spirit interferes, he's ruining his own position. Let me explain. May I borrow you two for a moment? I have to find a couple, and that was a little harder, to be honest, tonight than some nights. Ici, s'il vous plaît. Questa? Qui, per favore. No. I'm not going to try. I'm going to try not to embarrass you too much, but we'll see what happens. This is Deborah, okay? Say hi, Deborah. There we go. Now that we got that out of the way. And this is Hugo. Hi, Hugo. Sup, Hugo. Bonsoir. All right. Now, let's just say I happen to be a mutual friend. I know Hugo, and I know Deborah, and I know that, oh, is Deborah going to love Hugo? And, oh, is Hugo going to, he's going to love Deborah. And I know it. But here's the problem. They haven't met. And I know that I've got a, I've got a mission, and the mission is, I'm, and I'm not like one of these people, I want to warn you, this isn't normally how I am. So, But um, there are people in my life, though, around me. Anyways, all right, but... I know that if I could just get them to meet, the magic's going to happen, right? So I start, you know, kind of asking questions. So, Hugo, do you like gelato? And I'm asking him, mean, he's French, but I'm going to ask him Italian things. How are you with pasta? Pizza, okay, just checking. How are you with eating obscene amounts of food at a time and then having them say that was the appetizer? Are you okay with that? You know, now you're French, so that's like a five-hour meal. So that's okay, right? So you can just kind of, you know, the problem is, you know what they say about Italian food. You eat it, you're hungry again in like six weeks. Anyways, so, all right. So, okay, so wait here. And I kind of come over here and I'm like, so let me ask you, how are you with like creme brulee? Just checking. You know, <laughs> baguettes, croissants. You like those? Ah, chocolate. Like really chocolate. Second, how are you with the Eiffel Tower? You cool with that? You like that? It's beautiful. Kind of like that. Do you like the Louvre? Do you like paintings? Do you like pretentious poetry? Just checking. <laughs> 
Okay. Just check it. Okay. Do you, how are we with berets? Do you like guys in berets? Just check it. Those hats, you know, those kind of flat hats. Okay. Okay. Somewhere down the line, I'm just kind of, pre- I'm just prepping, prepping the work, right? Till the blade's in the soil, kind of again. And I'm like, and so all of a sudden, I just have to know, hey, Deborah, by the way, I'm going to be, you know, meet me at this particular restaurant. It's like an Italian-French restaurant. I think you're going to love it. That's like, you know, it's like, mama mia, oh my goodness, sorry. So, so okay, so, right? so she's there, and she's there at 6, and I'm like, hey, bro, by the way, Hugo, I was just wondering, would you like to come to dinner with me at 6.15? And, um, because, you know, in our church, nothing starts on time. So, you know, okay, so come on with me. And so, so then Hugo and I kind of come, and... And we kind of come in, oh, Deborah, how's it going? Hugo, this is my friend Deborah. Deb- and she's, by the way, happens to be Italian. Pasta, pizza. Right. And this is my friend Hugo. Creme brulee, baguettes. Okay, all right. And we sit down for a moment. Could you imagine how ridiculous it would be if I kind of sat like this and was like, so, all right, six months from now, so, how's it going? All right, good. You like her, huh? pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, sooner or later, it would be wise if I stepped out. Does that make sense? Because my mission is to bring them together. Does that make sense? Here's the crazy part. Could you imagine if everything was still somehow, like I got all the credit? Because in the end of it all, the two of them have to become a, have a relationship. And my, my goal, to be honest, but what happens if you like, I mean, so they get, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going to say this, but so they get married, hypothetically, right, and all that. And then it's like something happens, and Hugo kind of steps back this way, and I'm the one going, bro, bro, bro. Don't forget what it was like when you first met, you know. And there's everyone. She's like, oh, you know, he's always his socks, you know. And and she, you know. And I'm like, you know what? It's okay because they're French socks. They smell like baguettes, you know. And okay, go ahead and you can be seated. Thank you, Missy. Grazie. Understand the Holy Spirit's ministry is to introduce you and remind you. Does that make sense? Because there are going to be moments when the world's like shiny. We have like spiritual ADD. You know, it's like, Lord, I just give you all my, woo, what's that? You know, I just love you, a squirrel. You know, and it's like our whole life we just cannot do this, you know. And it's like, it's, what's amazing is we're like, we're like, God, I can't stay focused on anything. And then we grab the telly, we're like, click, click. It's amazing how we can stare at that thing. It's like, does the Lord have to change the scenery every three seconds for us to stay focused? You know, it's like, Lord, I just love you. I want to thank you so... What is that? I smell. Oh, Lord. You know, and it's like, oh, it it gets bad, and then we can't think otherwise. It's good, and we're like, where did that come from? Lord, I just wanted that. Wow, is that... Lord, could you make that for me? Lord, is it... Mmm, Lord. You know, and it's like, I just want to thank you. Give all things to enjoy. I'll be back. You know, how many... Think about how many times you start a prayer and never get to the in Jesus' name, amen part. Or is it just me that's like that? It's like I feel like 90% of my prayers start, and it's like I pray without ceasing because I never end them, you know? But I'm like praying on a train. I'm like, Lord, just use me right now in whatever way you want. If you want me to talk to this guy, oh, he's getting up and leaving. Oh, I was, oh wow, check that out. That's a really cool handbag. Wow. Where were we? Oh, yeah, sorry. It's like, God, you see, all the angels in heaven are like all around watching me talk to. You know, this is like their reality show, you know? It's like, try to have a conversation with the Lord. And they're all kind of like, yeah, this guy. And they're like, you know, they're like, they don't bet, I'm sure. But if they were, they're like, I think he's going to go 10 seconds. What do you think? I think he's going to go 11, you know? She's like, tick, 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 four. Oh, we got four, you know? I just, I just, I just love the fact that the Lord is patient through all of that, but please understand, 
The Holy Spirit's ministry is to draw you close for a reason. Because my God is in love with you. You are no accident. You are an intentional creation by a God who makes no mistakes. His thoughts for you outnumber the sand on the shore. He rejoices over you with singing. That's someone in love. He is constantly, constantly leaving sheaves for you to trip on to remind you that he loves you. And maybe you're looking in one direction, but if your eyes were just open, you would see how ridiculous it is. And if can I just bring to your attention this fellowship, and I don't say that in any reflection of me, this fellowship is the Mac. And I can just tell you, but I am so reminded of Jesus as I see you and the way you treat each other and the way you treat me and my family. I'm amazed. Here's a constant reminder. My God is in love with you, but here's the problem as we bring this to a close tonight. We're sinners. There's the problem. Sin separates us from a perfect holy God. But there's a catch-22 that only God was brilliant enough to figure out how. How can a perfect God, that is a perfect righteous judge, punish all wrong and still be with with his own? Because to punish would be to send us to eternal separation. That's what we've earned. But God in his infinite love for every one of us knows that he paid this one provision. If there was one person perfect, they could take the sins of others upon themselves if they were willing. Well, what's interesting is God knows the only person that qualifies is himself. Which, by the way, then disqualifies every other person. And can I just say, no matter if you lined up every religious figure from Muhammad to Buddha to Paramahansa Yogananda to Krishna, whatever else you want to play in and put out there, to you, if you want to get fancy and go Greek and Egyptian and just put all those guys up there too while you're at it, go to Athens and collect those. You can lay them out and then just ask if they were all real. And I don't believe that any of them are real but mine. But just to see, if you actually said and said, first of all, how many of you are perfect? There's only one that actually can state. Read Greek mythology if you want. None of those guys are perfect. The Romans did the same. There are over 300 million gods among the Indian, uh, among the Hindu religion. 300 million. Try to find one of them that are perfect. Men that are 98 roll naked down a hill with pieces of broken glass they purposely set in front of them to keep vengeance gods away. You worship a god to keep him away? He made you so that you could do something to keep him away? Think about that statement. So if you were to say, okay, we're going to line up every one of those gods, and there's, of course, that now is a, is a cue that just goes from one side to the other, and, you know, of, of the universe, and we kind of look and we say, now, how many of you are perfect step forward? There's only one that could step forward, and that's Jesus. But then I'll say, okay, let me ask another question. We're going to line them all up again. You're all in the same place. How many of you would be willing to pay for my sins? Only one would still step forward. Aren't you thankful it's the same one? Now, please hear me. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so he could be punished and tortured and beat so that all your and my sins could be fully punished so God could be fully righteous, just, and justifier. And yet he can turn to us and say, now I offer you that innocence. My question to you is, have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ's death for your sins, for your guilt, and then his resurrection so that he could be the Lord of your new life? Do you realize what just happened? The Holy Spirit just spoke. 
And I'm absolutely confident in that because you know what he just did? He just brought before you sin and righteousness and judgment. If you don't, if you say no to that, then you have to represent yourself in the court of law of eternity. But why I say, why would you want to do that when the price has already been paid and all you have to do is receive the love and the gift, the grace of God? If you have, I'd like to challenge you with a simple thing today. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior already, then I'd like to challenge you tonight to say, Lord, if this is really who the Holy Spirit is according to Scripture, prove me wrong. I just gave you Scripture tonight. If this is who he is, then I offer myself to whatever he wants to do in my life. Is that a fair prayer? Now, if you haven't accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, or you're not sure, you can walk out of here sure. I'm going to give you that choice tonight, and you can say yes, and you can join the family with the rest of us. Those that are ex-jerks for Jesus, saved sinners, set free. Will you pray with me? What a wonderful night, Lord. What a wonderful kickoff to this beautiful promise of how you want to gift us. But first, Lord, we can't give what we haven't received. And Lord, we want to better understand you. I mean, we don't want to rob ourselves of a third of the Trinity simply because of of whatever uses or misuses or what other people have said or whatever, Lord. We want to go right to your word. No, according to Second Timothy 3.16, you've made clear your Holy Spirit wrote this book. I would like to think he knows who he is. And so, Father, I just pray right now, first for every believer in here, myself included, if there be any janky things, Lord, that have come just by fancy speakers or dynamic whatevers, Lord, but they're, they are anti-biblical. And we're not talking about extra, just anti, that which clearly stands against your scripture. I pray you would eradicate it from us, purify us from those things so we could get back to what your Holy Spirit really wants to do, which is to draw us closer to you and then use us to draw others closer to you. It's just that simple. So, Lord, as we just give a moment here for you just to do whatever work you want to do in our lives, I pray right now that there be anyone here who knows they need to walk out if you're sure they've accepted your gift. But right now they're not sure. I pray right now you would convince them by the power of your Holy Spirit as you promise that that's what he does. Convince right now of the need and the necessity of that choice. And if that's you in this room right now, you've not accepted the gift of Jesus, Maybe you think, maybe I did something, but I'm not really even sure what I did. I'd love the honor tonight of just being able to be that friend that introduces you to your first love. I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. If you agree at the end, I ask you to say, Amen, what you're saying, or Amen, what you're saying is, I agree, let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And what I'd ask you to say is, Amen, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. It's just that simple. And here's the prayer. God, I come to you as a sinner. And in my sin, I've earned guilt. I'm a guilty individual in my sin. And you as a righteous judge punish all guilt. 
But I believe you love me so much you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross so that all my guilt could be punished on him so that I could be forgiven. So I could have his innocence for my guilt, his life for my death. And as he died on the cross, my guilty verdict did too. And three days later, he rose again just like he promised. And with that, I say yes to Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I surrender myself to you and say, let me have your innocence. That would be wonderful. I give myself to you now. I put the trust you've given me upon you. So here I am, I surrender. Father, in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Ready? Go. Amen, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Father, I pray now for every believer, be them brand new or otherwise. We just want to say, Lord, if this is who your Holy Spirit is in Scripture, we surrender to you that whatever your Holy Spirit wants to do in, to, and through us, we would say, we're yours. So here we are. Do with, with your Holy Spirit in our lives whatever you want, because we know it's best. So we surrender to you as well, fresh and anew, with this new, in light of what we've learned tonight, Use us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.